Oh, hello there, and welcome back to the Red River Horror Podcast. I am your host, Joe Zakreski. This is episode number 58. Very soon, you will hear an interview that Eddie and I did with Vincent Lee Grayson and Lillian Eves, who narrated the anthology book, Do You Fear Like We Do? Rock and Roll Nightmares, 70s Edition Short Stories. Some really interesting stuff. We had a great conversation with these two. Um, but before we get into it, remember to check out our sponsor, Keystone Retro. You can go to keystoneretro.com, find all of your favorite collectibles, specific, especially, especially, you know, hear me this, if you're into the wrestling thing. So he's got a bunch of good stuff over at keystoneretro.com. You use code REDRIVER for 10% off your order. Now let's sit back and relax and get ready to travel, ja- travel down those channels of fear. <laughs> Yay! Welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. Hey. Thank you so much. Thank We're you. glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, I was I was just taking a look at the book real quick. I'm going to read the description on Amazon because kind of kind of sets the tone for. Yeah, let's do it's it. It's pretty cool. It's like, do you all feel right. like we do? Take a chill pill. Get ready to catch boogie fever and turn it up to eleven. <laughs> do you feel like we do? Is set in an alternate scary '70s where disco inferno isn't just a song title. An FM radio DJ who works the graveyard ship finds out what catch you on the flip side really means, uh-huh. and a rock band faces death flying the uh-huh. not-so-friendly skies. Ooh. Stories include Tiny Danger, Comfortably Dumb, and While My Guitar Gently Reaps. <laughs> it's 11 yes. stories by Stacey Lane Wilson, Kurt Lambert, Leanne Rowe, Graydon Schlickler, Joel David, Amos, Ruth Ann, is that Jag? And Dr. Oolong, seemingly. Ooh, Dr. So, Oolong. Those. So pretty. Is that a T? It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's, you know, I don't know if it's the tea bags that wrote it, but. Okay. Probably personal. <laughs> right. Uh, so we have guests. So I, I I would like to ask some questions. Yeah, fire away. That's all right. All right. All right. Absolutely. Mm. Hit us. All right. So, Vincent, you are one of the narrators. That's right. <laughs> but also one of the authors as well. Oh, that that's true. Actually, if I take off my glasses Clark Kent style, then uh-huh. I become the writer, <laughs> Graydon Schlichter. Oh, okay. Who wrote uh, She's a Killer, Dean, mm. for the anthology. Cool. So you guys may have picked up on this already. Every story title in the anthology is riffing on a song from the period. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was not expecting, just uh, Do You Feel Like We Do is the book we're talking about. That's the one, you know, we would encourage people to go out and buy, but also listen to. That's what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. What's crazy to me already, if you're into rock and roll, this is totally where where you go. It's crazy to me just how many references, how many bands, how many songs, how many different things. I was not, I totally was not expecting that going into it. I will be honest. But yes, I did <laughs> notice that now. Well, happy to give you a pleasant surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. What uh, what got you guys into being a part of like this project, or like what inspired you for your stories? Well, those are two separate questions. They are. Uh, I'll start with what inspired the story. There you, there you go. Um, I also, if I if I put on my glasses to go backwards, uh, I have my other persona, Leanne Rowe, which is oh. uh, yes, and I wrote the story comfortably dumb. Uh, <laughs> so. When when Stacy uh, first approached me about this, 
I don't think she knew I had uh, a decade's worth of experience working in logistics for band merchandise. Uh, mm. There's a lot of really big bands. And a lot of times uh, when they would come to LA, we didn't have the merch people to go and do it. And they would come to me and I love free concerts. So I would go and set up and sell merch at these concerts uh, here and there. And I really wanted to tell a story from the merch girl's perspective because some crazy stuff happens when you're at these. Um, and some of the actual true stories are in the story that I wrote about this this merch girl who is given uh, at the very beginning. I won't give anything away because you won't know what they do. Okay. She's given uh, scratch and sniff stickers to hand out for the encore. Hmm. And then, what they do, I'll wait. I won't tell. Uh, but it, it was inspired by I was doing a Scorpion show. And uh, I believe the guitarist or the drummer gave me postcards for a coffee that he had started, like a brand. And people just went nuts with this free merchandise that was just like promoting coffee. And they were coming up and crying and begging for more postcards. And I was like, all right, so let's do something with scratch and sniff stickers. Yeah. <laughs> so. Attack for free stuff. So, so just to reset here, we're talking about the book, rock and roll nightmares, seventies edition. Do you fear like we do? It was edited by our friend, Stacy Lane Wilson on with us. We have Vincent Lee Grayson, Lillian Eves, the two narrators, but they also just gave their personas, uh, their author names as well. Comfortably dumb mm -hmm. is the one you wrote. So now you you just opened up a whole new world as far as this merch goes. <laughs> I didn't. I had no. Yeah. I had no plans on talking of band merch. Yeah, I was for over ten years, uh, and it was so pretty. I, I don't know if we get to name drop. It was some pretty big oh, bands. Absolutely, uh, we, we okay. name dropping is awesome. I, I entered. Uh, into the, this whole field uh, working for Bon Jovi. And then it opened up and we eventually had over 58 different bands and they just kept coming in. Like we also had Jeff Dunham for a while uh, <laughs> and Britney Spears. Uh, I was uh, absolutely ecstatic when we got Ben Folds for a while because I was this major Ben Folds fan. So I was like, free concerts? That was a dream. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it was just merchandise, like yeah. really crazy stories come out of that that people don't even really think about. Like when we had Jeff Dunham dolls that had a pool tab so they wouldn't talk. But when you would get hundreds of orders and be filling up UPS trucks, you would just hear all of these dolls just talking inside <laughs> of these containers. <laughs> and it was like a little bit of a nightmare going on. So, yeah, I was I was with that for a good long time until it kind of went away. Yeah. Um, merchandising. Merchandising. from the bands is made. It's true. It you have a lot more friends when you have like access to concerts and merchandise and you know, Christmas comes and like, can't you get me maybe this shirt or do you have <laughs> heaven and hell necklaces of this, you know? So yeah, uh, it was, it was a really rad time. Yeah. No, so I nice know to revisit that and then watch in, in the story that I wrote, watch the concert goers kind of go through this kind of uh, experience. So <laughs> I like it. I'm looking forward to reading that one. That's going to be, that sounds like fun. Yeah, and the, on the side note, she talks about, in, in the story, having seen the Hollywood vampires. I don't know if, if you know them. Uh, they came back, and they were big in the 70s. They came back around in the uh, like like the early 2000s, and I got to vend some of their concerts as well. They were a super group. Right? Yeah, they were a super group. It was mm -hmm. like Pink Floyd would come together, Alice Cooper, Joe Perry. And when they reformed the second time, it was Johnny Depp was there, and Joe Perry was back, and Alice Cooper... And then they had like special guest stars, like Marilyn, Marilyn Manson came out at some point. Um, so I had uh, two nights where I was bending the concerts, um, and I just couldn't believe I was getting paid to be there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Yeah. yeah, I actually think we, the original group had uh, Ringo and John Lennon would pop up from time to time huh. too. Um, wow. Yeah, not not to make a correction, but in the book, I was listening. One of the stories I heard they referenced Alice Cooper as a band. I thought Alice Cooper was a guy. Which is it? I oh, I know which story. I, I think actually the she says uh, the character asks like Alice Cooper, and she's like, "Who's she?" And he's like, "Alice Cooper is a band." <laughs> uh, or I think it's yeah, that's what they did. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. So, it, so you're right, it is a band, but the character in the story, one of the characters in the story gets it wrong because she's so young that it's just not in her life experience. Poser. <laughs> <laughs> I will whip that one out in a while. That, I, I did not write that one. I'm just going to put that down. No. Okay. I, sorry, I like to think about it is just like how, like, you know, I mean, we talk about horror movies and so yeah, but just how scary it must have been working some of those merch stands with like some of like those big bands have Ooh. some extreme fans. Yeah. Oh, and well, I, I will say if you don't have the right band, size or the right piece, like, oh, well, they, they would, the heavy metal bands were really good about buying you drinks. I'm um, sure. Nice. <laughs> I would get a lot of drinks to see if I could get people backstage, uh, <laughs> but like, no, <laughs> so, yeah, you didn't have that. I, oh, no, some of them I did, but I, I said I didn't and some of them I didn't, um, but uh, yeah, and you would get, you know, they, they were really nice, really nice. It was the the actual bands. I think we had Ollie Murs for a while. He was kind of this teen, teen sensation out of England. That was the scariest one I ever did because it was 12 and 13 and 14 year olds just screaming and crying and like throwing money at you. And then you would get 50 year old women screaming and crying and begging to get backstage, which was really creepy. So I was more concerned at those kind of concerts than I was. Uh, like heavy metal. Yeah. Um, well, well. so Vincent, I definitely want to get into uh, some of the process and some of your previous experience because we had spoken a lot beforehand before this interview started, but I just wanted to use this opportunity to tell a crazy story that both Joe and I were a part of. And <laughs> one of those crazy fans was me. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. Now, now being, being 35, I am no longer really starstruck anymore. I don't really, like, I'm, I'm not that excited about things. Like, like, you know, if it's like, oh, you know, okay, yeah, great. This band's coming in. But I used to be way over the top. <laughs> and my favorite band back when, uh, starting at 12 years old was the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> so so just to, to get through this story quickly so they they came back after the whole pop thing ended you know justin timberlake went solo on nsync so nsync was no longer britney was kind of trying to reform herself the backstreet boys were on a quote hiatus <laughs> so they they released an album in 2005 and with that they wanted to do like a big world tour back in like the days where they were flying over the crowd and these huge productions but before that they did a warm up tour like a like a small venue uh like so ours was at the electric factory and mm -hmm. I was such a big fan that the night after that they played at this place in Scranton PA mm -hmm. at the Scranton show there was, for some reason, access to, like, the back area where they were going to be getting on their bus. And <laughs> so I found my way there, and Joe went with me. He said, if I go, if he goes with me to the Backstreet Boys, then I had to go with him to Nine Inch Nails. So it was, nice. you know, it ended up being a great trade-off. So I'm in the back of this place in Scranton, and Joe's just like, oh, boy, like, what the hell is going on? So they're all making the rounds. They're slapping <laughs> hands, but nobody came over to me. Except Nick Carter. He was the only one that made like the rounds. 
So I'm screaming at Nick. I'm just like, knack, knack. Sorry, it's hard to explain. Your face is just beat red, screaming his name with like a pen and something for him to sign. And this man, he's just stopped in his tracks and just like locked eyes with you for about like five seconds and just bolted. Yes. To, with their bus, car, whatever it was to leave. So, so here's this dude in the sea of girls just screaming wow. with a beat red face. So anyway, long story short, so I didn't, I didn't, he was like really like, so like, okay, dude. So a couple months later when they released the album, I went to New York to meet them and he remembered me. <laughs> he's, just like, he's just like dude i'm like hey what's up he's like have you calmed down i'm like yeah yeah you yeah, know I've, I've calmed down, I've calmed down. <laughs> so it, it was just funny like thinking of like back then i would have done anything just like oh my god i just want to hang out with the backstreet boys which is really weird and i know as an aside to this so sorry to hijack the time there no, it's, wanted- it's all good because i was actually thinking about that earlier today but not from not that part of it oh our drive back Oh, you know, yeah. that's like one of those things. If I was ever going to write like a short story, that's probably something that I would include because we ended up this was before GPS. So we didn't have like a GPS or a map. We didn't print out a map. <laughs> and so we were just driving. So Scranton to Philly is about two and a half hour drive. Give it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe two hours, two and a half. But whatever. We couldn't find the highway. So we ended up taking this local route and just driving through these old coal towns and stuff like that. So I was like, I was like, yeah, man, that would make for a great story of just like getting stuck in some coal town. Yes. I mean, it's basically Silent Hill, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah. so so Vincent, um, so we were chatting just a bit beforehand, and you happened to be, well, you got your start in radio. Can you expand on that a little bit? Oh, cool. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a small town, and uh, I somehow booked a radio commercial at uh, at the age of sixteen. And it was this car dealership. Uh, this car it was a it was a two dealership uh, operation. They had one on the east side of town, uh, one on the west side of town, and they were opening one on the east side of town. And the director of production at our local radio station had been doing commercials for this dealership for years, uh, and he. He had this sort of gruff cowboy character that he would do, you know, this sort of buy gum, come on down, et cetera, et cetera. When they opened the one on the east side of town, they wanted to to set up a rivalry between the two dealerships. <laughs> and so I I don't remember how I got on their radar, but somebody put me in front of this guy uh, to do an English accent. <laughs> and so the thought was that the dealership on the eastern side of town was a bit further east, if you will, across the pond, uh, sort of a posh uh, sort of environment, if you will. And and that was it. So we, we went into a uh, radio station and we recorded the copy. It was a series of, I don't know, five spots, I think, something like that. Uh, and then we after we finished, the guy turned to me uh, and he said, do you want a job? And I, I said, a what? And he said, a job. Would you would you want to be a DJ? you got a great voice. You're articulate. You seem like you got a good head on your shoulders. Uh, how do you feel about doing uh, nights and weekend nights on the weekends, overnights? And I said, well, I, I don't know. That sounds great. Uh, what does it pay? He said, well, normally we start our, our DJs off, our part-timers off at four twenty-five an hour. Wow. Now, that right there gives you a little bit of insight both into how small the town was and also how far back in time we're going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he looked at me and he said, but, you know, you're way ahead of the game already. So... I'm going to start you with five. Ooh. Five. Oh. It beats flipping burgers, though, doesn't it? 
<laughs> sure does. Well, and the overnight shift is six hours. So I was making 30 bucks a shift. Boom. And, you know, wow. living at home, room and board was all covered. Yeah. That was just crazy money. Just making it rain. <laughs> <laughs> but then that that brought you out to L.A., which because so, the, Joe, the reason I brought it up is that town happened to be in Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Yes. Because uh, you just said Bethlehem and not too just a few minutes ago. So you're originally from Lehigh uh, Valley? Yeah, that was that was only a reference, though. I actually grew up in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, and at the radio station in question, I don't actually know what the format is these days, but it used to be <clears throat> 95.1 Mix 95, bringing you the best mix of the 70s, the 80s, and today. Damien Quinn here, bringing you the tunes all night long. That was Elton John, and before that, we had a little Madonna. We'll have more coming up after the break. Stay tuned. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> nice. <laughs> wow, so the 90s. Okay, so that uh, question for both of you. So we are we are in the 70s edition. Do you feel like we do? We're talking about bands, songs, uh, the times. It's all happening in the 70s. The cars. Uh, they're talking about dropping the needle, eight-track players, everything. Is there, is, is, is that your preferred, I guess, what's your preferred decade of music, first of all? We'll start with you, uh, um, uh, Lillian. That is so hard. Um, for <laughs> rock music, I love the 70s, actually. Um, I just really like Pink Floyd, Three Dog Night, ELO, like when the Beatles in the 70s, um, like I really jammed a lot of that, the Eagles. Um, but uh, I went to school for musical theater. <laughs> And, oh my gosh! Uh, I was obsessed uh, with music written in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Unfortunately, I'm like a walking dictionary to the poor narrating partner over here. I will go on long tirades about Gershwin and like Cole Porter and uh, Jerome Kern. So I love standards. I really love that kind of music era. I but I also love 70s music and uh, you know. I, I really like I like a whole bunch of music. <laughs> so So yeah. pick a decade. Yeah, which decade? <laughs> this is my whole point. And musical theater. I love I love musical theater too. Like I that's big fan of that. Uh so like so. five thousand, twenty five thousand, six hundred. Oh, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> yeah, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I'm not I like I like a lot of the musical theater right before we started doing all of the movies. Okay. Uh, like I like I liked, you know, like ragtime. And uh, William Fenn is one of my favorite composers, and Cy Coleman. Uh, so yeah, I get kind of geeky, but yeah. Well, is there anything that you uh, obviously all? It, it's hard to use the same instruments and not create a sound that's heard before. But I guess what what do you think the most obvious version then of a song that exists that you like that you kind of get geeky about from that that like twenties thirties. Uh, side of it that that's either happened in the 60s 70s 80s 90s 00s and today like what's what what would be a good example of a song based off of something from that time hmm. oh, from the 40s uh the 40s yeah. i would have i've got to think on this we just had a, a really big discussion last night about the song blue moon because he was saying it was doo-wop and i was like no that that was that was the 40s song uh it's rogers and hart actually uh, before Rogers and Hammerstein, this is my little uh, <laughs> tirades I go on. <laughs> but uh, I, I really don't know. Uh, I would have to think on that. Uh, unless you know, I talk about it so much. 
Uh, nope, you can, I'm not, I'm not going to help with oh, this one. Well, okay. Um, ah, John McLean's song, Vincent. Okay. Uh, that inspired Killing Me Softly. I always think Vincent is Ooh. such an absolutely fantastic song. I know he like locked himself in a room with a whole bunch of Van Gogh's work. And there, I know a bunch of the, the titles of the poems are in the lines. And then when you hit Killing Me Softly, like it, it, you, it captures what it was to hear Vincent. And so I, it's not really answering your question, but I'm like, it inspired this. No, that's no, not, I, I love the Fuji's version of that song. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love I, that. All the way around. <laughs> yeah. All right, Vincent, your favorite decade of music. Oh, that's easy. Easy. No question. Easily done. The 80s. The 80s? The of the 80s, man. Yeah. Like, take on me from AHA. All of, uh, you know, classic Michael Jackson from Thriller on down for the next five to eight years when it was all still pretty solid stuff. Um, yeah, no, just 80s, 80s, 80s. It, uh, let me think. Uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Uh, oh, Jesse's Girl. You guys remember the song Jesse's Girl? Yeah, yep. some Rick Springfield, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> Yeah, a little Rick Springfield. Uh, yeah, no, it's just 80s, 80s all the way up and all the way down, which doesn't mean I can't appreciate other decades, other genres. I do. I'm, I, I love music, but now, 80s. Did you hear <laughs> Jesse's Girl Part 2? What? <laughs> this was like one of the oddest things to come out of the pandemic. So it's the band <laughs> Coheed and Cambria, if you ever heard of them. So Coheed and Cambria featuring Rick Springfield did a Jesse's Girl 2. <laughs> and it makes no sense it doesn't sound like jesse's girl but it's just like rick springfield's in it and in the music video it's like I'm okay here here's a thing wow <laughs> True story. Hey, you know what creation right absolutely creation in the face of adversity Let's- yes yeah, absolutely why not i but have you heard i mean i'm sure i'm sure you have have you heard blinding lights by the weekend Oh, I'm 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 eighty percent certain that the answer to that is yes. <laughs> so, d- for me, that song and I and I love. I'm a huge Weekend fan. He's one of the only newer artists that I think is actually interesting and good. Um, it sounds like you could mix it perfectly with "Take on Me" by Aha. Like you can mix uh-huh. it perfectly. Yeah, it's the same beat. I- yeah. It's like it's it's perfect. I don't know. Love a good mashup. Nice. All right. So so now now that we're through that, so was there uh so for the stories that you wrote, so Vincent, I'll start with you. For the story that you wrote in this book specifically, then obviously this is the decade from the 70s. Where where did you did you kind of have to research the period at all before you started on something like that or did you just kind of say you know what i can write a story and then put it in that time ah great question so i actually i my process started a step before that uh which was uh when stacy was talking about this project uh to us uh separately and together uh she 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 gave us the pitch which was horror comedy in the 60s 70s and 80s uh, riffing on song titles. And so I immediately back in the napkin, three, four, five, uh, uh, story titles that were riffs on song titles that had a slug line just so that I could start to get the creative juices flowing. Like what story am I going to tell? Um, and then I pitched 
three of them to Stacy. Uh, two of them, ironically, riffing on the same title. That's and that's a story that hasn't been written yet, so I won't spoil it. Okay. Uh, but she loved she loved all three of them, and she said, "Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, you can write whatever you want. This sounds fantastic." So then I that so then I had my title right. Uh, she's a killer dean riffing on Killer Queen, <laughs> um, and then I I thought I knew what the story was, and so I sat down to start writing it, and I'm a um, I'm a, a a blocks sort of writer, so I'll I'll sit down and I'll write a block of text. If there's if there's something missing, like a detail, I'll make a note. Uh, and in the case of the '70s, the first thing that I really researched uh, was fashion, because I had this. There's this female character who shows up early in the story, and she's super important. Uh, and I wanted the audience to be able to picture her perfectly, like she had just stepped out off a, a '70s TV screen or out of a '70s print ad. So I just googled '70s fashion and found some images that spoke to me, and I just sort of put together her outfit, and then I wrote her outfit. Hmm. Um, and that was the only other piece of it that I really had to do, which ironically did not make it into the final story at all was, uh, I spent a little bit of time researching genre evolution in the seventies because the original concept for the story was that it was going to take place over the course of most of the decade as the band sort of evolved, uh, uh adding members, changing art forms, losing members, et cetera, et cetera. Cause the seventies of course has a really rich tapestry of, of musical genres. Um, and so I did that research and then the whole story winds up taking place over the course of an evening anyway. <laughs> so, well, all right. So none of that, there's a little bit of that research that survives where it talks about what the band was before that night and how they got to be where they are, but then it doesn't progress beyond that because the action is, is condensed to that evening. Uh, okay. I picked up on some of that. What's what's been interesting to me so far, listening through uh, the entirety, like of of the uh, the book, which you guys narrate so well, is oh, that it really does. It, it makes you think, uh, like, because because when you're when you're younger, right? Like Joe, I mean, we talk about music and like the the music that we love so much, especially in the I don't want to say top forty, but in the contemporary realm, like stuff that makes the charts. There's you you can't fathom that your favorite artist who's uh you know like let's say Slipknot mm-hmm. you don't think that like oh Corey Taylor is going to be in a rap song just like those two don't those two things don't mix you know what I mean so one thing about this story or I guess this this group of stories so far that I've picked up on is you have a producer that uh you know like he's he's in the disco spot right now okay but he's really like a rock and roll guy, but he's just there. Like, he's just like, okay, like I know I can produce a disco record. So like, I I know what you're saying is what I mean. Like it's, I'm very enamored with that side of it because I've never been on that side of it. So I think of something like, like Rick Rubin, I guess will be a perfect example, Mm -hmm. you know, launches the beastie boys makes this just magic with their records. And then all of a sudden is, is working with Tom Petty or <laughs> Slayer. You know, like, Slayer. Slayer. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, really jumping around. So, so yeah, those are three very different genres. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but, but this, it's funny. Like I can tell the passion for the music in these stories because all of those elements, those layers are there. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Cause like I've, you know, as we started, I was like, oh, I got to remember to download this. So I just down, but I just added it to yes. my audibles. And yes. then, uh, so it'll be my background sounds while I'm, you know, <laughs> doing work on my new home. But yeah, and so I'm like, oh, this will be fun. But so, like, we're talking like music and 
and scary stuff. One of the things for me, this is in my head before I forget it, because I'm going to ask all three of you, because like we're getting in like one of my favorite things in whether it's TV or movies is like is always the music for the horror genre. And it's like you have the classic scores with the synthesizers. But one of my favorite things is the one that just cuts the tension right in half and is funny. So like imagine it's like, you know, there's all this creepy stuff. What's the song that you would throw into something that would like, you know, change the vibe and just be hilarious. So, for example, it's like the one that gets me every time is um, Richard Cheese's Down With The Sickness. Have you ever heard his uh, lounge style singing? Oh, yes. So yes, in, yes. in Zack Snyder's <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, it's like, you know, there's all this chaos going on. And then you just hear this. Like, ah, ah, ah. Get up, <laughs> come on, get down. Right. You're like something like that. So I always thought that like something it popped in my head when we t- mentioned ELO. I was just like, I always thought it'd be funny if there was like something create like some kind of like zombie chase and then Mr. Blue Sky <laughs> starts playing. Like, dun, oh, dun, yeah, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I would think if you guys know who Spike Jones is, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, not the director, but the guy in the music, like back in the 30s, 40s. No. He was the inspiration <laughs> of Woody Allen. I mean, uh, and I'm messing it up. Weird, Weird Al. Al. Um, he yeah. would sing a song perfectly in orchestra, and then they would break it down, like well, how Weird Al does it now. In fact, if you've seen the movie UHO, UFO or UHO, uh, UHF, UHF. UHF. they brought in an original member of Spike Jones, isn't that? Um, but. If you haven't seen him, look him up. He's hilarious. Spike Jones did a lot for uh, uh, Merry Melodies, right? They they do a lot with the Looney Tunes. Uh, yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. They did uh, the, the really famous one where Donald Duck dreams that he's in in Germany. I think that that whole score was done by mm-hmm. Spike Jones. Um, but they also, if you were to do the Ink Spots, if you know them, uh, they do the song that I don't want to set the world on fire. It, it's really famous from the Fallout games mm-hmm. oh um, my gosh yes wonderful souls i think that they're so gorgeous and if something horrible is happening and then you just get this really beautiful ballad because they always have the guy that comes in and then speaks the lyrics afterwards or he's like you know i don't want to set the world on fire darling you know <laughs> and i just think that that kind of it's so it's such a weird break if it was something in the middle of like a horror uh <laughs> yeah something like zombie that. apocalypse eating brains yeah you know that's a good one. That's oh a good my one. gosh, I haven't. That was on the Fallout commercial back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you download the radio station, uh, those are all of the songs of my era. So I was like, I I just did nothing but listen to the radio station. They had like Danny Kay and the Ink Spots and Billy Holiday. It's fantastic. So Joe- I, I can go on forever. Go ahead and answer the question. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. you play. Uh, so I, I I've got two uh, because I can never I can never decide. For the for the purity, uh, the pure answer probably, although this is also weirdly riffing on uh, on Fallout, is Country Roads, mm-hmm. right? Oh, you just imagine like barreling through a blasted apocalyptic wasteland <laughs> with Country Roads, take <laughs> home. Um, so there's that. But then for for pure comedic value, I don't think it exists, but I want it to, and that would be like a surfer rock adaptation of Enter Sandman. Oh, you know what? That would sound really funny and kind of cool. Because like, if you just like tremolo pick the whole intro, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. worth noting, Stacy's dad is freaking Don Wilson from the Ventures. Yeah, the I, guy. Like they like I, I I don't know if they invented that sound, but well, wipe out. Yeah, uh, dude. yeah. I'm just saying, like, it's funny you bring that up. Like that's the the person who put the book 
altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, one yeah. of our favorite people of all time, Stacey Lynn Wilson. It's like her dad, like, is from that the, era, like, created that. The surf sound. Yeah. That mm-hmm. tone. Pretty freaking cool. Yeah. But um, but no, that that's interesting. Now I'm gonna have yeah, to like that. see somebody be like, let's uh, let's let's see what we could do with that inner Sandman riff. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear it. Yeah. I would crank that all day. <laughs> all right, Lillian, you're did did you answer yet? Yeah, she wanted Spike Jones. Okay, Spike yeah. Jones. Yeah, which is awesome. Like, what about you? Because like, here's a th- <sighs> if it, if it wouldn't get <laughs> taken down immediately, I would right. like start a channel like cut of like you know. You know the run was like the kid, like the Michael Myers or the Jason Voorhees just walking, and the girls just running, and it's just like keeps catching up to him, but just having like uh, Bon Jovi's Runaway in there. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like because because get I, taken down immediately, but it'd be funny because you know you know me just as I've gotten older, I've gotten so much like so yeah, ready for this English, so much less creative. I was gonna say, <laughs> um. So I, I, I think like I don't want to say the opposite, but in Donnie Darko, when there's a version of Mad World, that song, when mm-hmm. kind of like when you get to that moment in the film and that's playing, that's it's not funny. It's it's really not funny, but it's very impactful. Yeah. yeah. So I'd have to, I'd have to have longer to think about that. Like what would be what would be funny? Like a funny yeah. You know, hit. We, into... we get on that music topic, and we could just go. That's true for several hours. <laughs> but but yeah, no. well, I guess spe- cool. speaking to some of the process of of narrating audiobooks. So the reason it was so interesting to me, you know, Stacy literally just asked. She's like, "Hey, you know, I know you guys are rolling along with the podcast. You're over a year in. Um, got this project and." wanted to know if you wanted to talk to the narrators of the story. I'm like, well, that's very interesting because something we've been trying to do at redriverhorror.com for a long time now is like, we call it the channels of fear. It's the different channels, you know, a little play on words. So movies, right. Movies have been a huge part of it, obviously. uh, But we haven't really ventured fully into books yet. And we haven't really ventured into what's called the audio streams. And that's, yeah, so that's part of like a grand scheme where it's like I'd like to start producing more uh, fiction podcasts mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, we'll have like our fun, our fun one with our interviews and other things, but like actually producing like a show of something yeah. that's all audio, you know, but it's all the different streams and all the, yeah. like all the like podcasts, audio books that like like yeah. fiction, like reading, telling stories. Yeah, it's just so much fun. So that's so that's why I'm I'm really excited and I wanted to get to kind of some of the process of how this is done. Now, I've listened to a good portion of the book thus far and I've heard it both ways. So I've listened to a Stephen King book on Audible and there's just a one narrator doing all of the voices, no sounds interjected with with um do you feel like we do the 70s edition, the Rock and Roll Nightmares? There is both of you speaking, and mm-hmm. also there are voices, there's effects, mm. there's there's kind of things that creep their way into the story. So how do you decide what books that you narrate, like how do you decide what is going to get that treatment and what's just going to get the straight, like I'm doing multiple characters? Well... it, it It's an interesting question because, uh, so Lillian and I have, have 
our audiobook journeys that brought us to this point in time were a little bit different. Uh, and so we had we brought different experiences, different expectations, and different um, maybe biases in how the process works. And so the first thing that I that I would say to that is that you know we've learned a lot from each other. Okay. Uh, and uh, the work that we create now is very much an alchemy. It's a melding of the different skill sets that we bring to the table in order to create something that, if I may be so bold, mm-hmm. uh, is better than anything either of us have or would have produced on our own. What? No, I completely agree, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the sound effects question is a particularly salient one for us because when we started working together, I think it's fair to say you were rather dramatically opposed. I, I was. I was. Um, which, which is not uh, is not a criticism. That's just that was your experience and where you came from. Yeah, I didn't want anything to take the listener out of listening. And you know, as you know, with horror films, you don't think about the sound until it's done horribly, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, "That's <laughs> a good point." Guy. So yeah. I just wanted to make sure I knew if I was to put effects into an audiobook, it was not going to be very good because I didn't know how to do that. So when when he started talking about effects, it's like I don't I don't I don't know what I feel about this. But yeah. we were we were working on a paranormal romance, <laughs> and there's whispers and wind and spirits and and all of these things. And he's like, "Let me just try." And I was like, "No, no, no!" <laughs> and, and it sounded amazing. And it didn't take me out of that. And then we had to cross our fingers and wait for the author to listen to it. Spoiler, and she loved it. She loved it so much, she rewrote the beginning of, of her book with the page recommending that everybody listens to the audiobook because she'd never, to quote her, had heard anything like it. Wow. So I, I was wrong, not wanting the effects in the very beginning. I've since then changed my ways, and I sometimes go overboard. I'm like, you could do this, or you could add this sound. And he's like, calm down. <laughs> but I will say at the same time that your instincts were always 100% right, which is, Sound effects, music, uh, layering voices, all of that stuff needs to support the story. It needs to push the narrative. If I'm doing any of that just because I think it sounds cool, then I'm I'm putting I'm elevating myself as the narrator above the story. And that mm. it's not gonna it's not gonna work. That's not that's not the goal. So um, when you listen to Do You Feel Like We Do, this it's it's a great example because uh, horror lends itself a little bit more towards some of this because the atmospherics are so important. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's easy to go too far. So if you look at uh, at this book, for example, I don't know I don't know exactly how far you in, whether, uh, whether you've heard Hotel Kill em For You yet. I did. I did hear that one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that is far and away the most complicated uh, audio production in, in the work. Uh, because really? uh, just a little bit of a split. Yeah. Uh, because it's less of a story and more of an advertisement in the way that, that Stacy wrote it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's less, it's less of a, a narrative fiction and more like almost like a radio commercial. And so when we read it instantly, we thought, okay, this is the piece where we can, we can go a little bit farther with some of those elements because it's, uh, there's, there's less risk of taking away from, from the work it's just it's going to be fun and also it's it's pretty quick so it doesn't wear out it's welcome hmm. yeah. um by contrast uh or or another great example actually is the first story so if you started the beginning you've heard saturday fright fever yes yep so without giving away what it is to the listeners there's a particular character whose voice is very modulated 
uh, in that story. Mm. You know the one that I mean, mm-hmm. coming over the loudspeakers. Right. So that is that is a very thick, chunky effect. That is more than I would typically do in uh, in a story. But the story itself called it out so directly, and it was that was so on point with what was happening in the narrative that it made sense to incorporate it. That having been said, there will be some people out there who, if they heard it, they would hate it. This mm. is sound effects and and uh, layered voices and things in audiobooks is incredibly divisive amongst narrators and amongst audiobook listeners. In fact, there is uh, at least one review of one of our books that someone said. I don't know how I feel about having two narrators <laughs> as, as if, uh, you know, having the two of us working together was not the experience this listener wanted. And I'm not going to make fun of them for it. Whatever the experience that they want to have is the experience that they should be seeking. But for us, it is a, it's a no brainer that when we can work together to create something, you know, share the cast of roles, share the narrative responsibilities, and also share the creative and artistic uh evaluation of the work what comes out is just better mm-hmm. yeah and predominantly with me coming from romance a lot of of reviews i was getting besides the people who are just mean for being mean um, <laughs> yeah, right right asking, like why doesn't she have a male narrator like it's kind of a new thing entering the romance world but uh because I, I don't like voicing guys like it's pretty evident i'm not a guy <laughs> right. and then people would get mad at me because i didn't sound like a guy and uh, now it's all it's it's all so much better because <laughs> now I have to worry about it. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's no, that's cool. Uh, so is, is that? Um, I guess I guess a question, one that I'm curious about because it's funny you bring up paranormal romance. I did, <laughs> I did do a paranormal romance book uh, like four years ago or five years ago, but that like was an entree to. <laughs> A few more, like like one of the authors heard my version of that other author's and said, hey, I would love for you to do my book. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, mom, do not listen to this. She's like, oh, I want to like get the book. I'm like, no, you really don't at all. <laughs> but so so but it was just my voice. And what I found was it was taking it was taking me forever to actually perform it. And then edit it. So, so how long does it take you for a finished hour of work to create? Like a fit, like you voice it, you cut it, you do the, the effects. Like, so one hour, how long does that take you? There's a little bit of, of flexibility in the numbers. Um, but what I will say, uh, and you can chime in if, if, if I get, if I get these numbers wrong, um, to record an hour, is going to be somewhere between 125% and 200%, right? So it's going to be somewhere between 75 minutes and two hours to record. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because when we record, we're both in the room together, eyes on the text. And so if there's a mistake, most of the time we catch it right in the moment and just record a new take right in the moment. Uh, and also sometimes one of us will ask the other for an alternate take. Right. Yeah. Uh, of, of either a bit of, of dialogue or, you know, just to smooth out some pacing in the narration. Mm-hmm. So we we get a lot out of our raw recording, but sometimes it takes as much as, as twice as long as the mm-hmm. finished uh, raw will be. And then there's an editing pass. Uh, usually it, we do this a couple of different ways, um, but the editing pass is going to take somewhere between 
two and three times uh, as long as as the audio. So if you start with one hour and it takes two hours for you to record it, it's probably going to take four or five hours to go through that two hours of audio to get your cut of what you really of of mm. you know it's good wow. soup to nuts with the the qualifier that there might be a few pickups there might be a few there's a word wrong here there's a, a mispronunciation that we didn't catch in the room or um I, you know what that character's voice doesn't it's not consistent with the way we've been voicing it so we need to do another take of that line um but pickups generally run pretty quickly now so if you're talking about a finished hour of audio there might be you know, a dozen, 15 things that we, we surgically pick up in the studio. So that might take another half hour. Dropping those in might take another 30 or 40 minutes. Um, and then the, the piece de resistance, if you will, mm. uh, one of the things that Lillian brings to the table, one of her value adds is there's nobody in the business who creates a better, more consistent underbed uh, ambient sound to support the audiobook. So mm. you will not hear a click or a pop or a squeak or anything else between the words um, because she makes sure all of that is gone. So when mm. you're listening to it, you're just getting what you're supposed to get. You're just getting what we intended you to hear. Uh, no moss. That's mm. a very nice way of saying I'm picky. <laughs> <laughs> These will be the smoothest sounds you will hear. I, I am so terrified of the the silence of noises coming in the silence is where you get to hear the studio. So mm -hmm. I never want people to actually know the recording environment, even though we actually have a studio and it's taken out a lot of those, but I don't want them to go, that's a chair squeak or I heard this. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why. Or the parrots. I, oh Lord, the parrots. I am <laughs> and now that I know this and I'm putting this out there, somebody somewhere is going to leave a review going, I heard a chair squeak. And then I'm just going to go insane. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm picky in that way, uh, but it, it's all right. It's, thank you. That was a very nice thing to say. Of course. It's a good uh, thing to be picky about. It's a good thing. And, yeah, it, and, it, does, it does take a long time in editing. I'll just back that up. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so, you know, long story short, it's probably five hours for each hour of finished audio, plus or minus. <sighs> that's, yeah, I mean, that takes some discipline. That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, well, where, that's where we're like, ah. There, there are two other pieces of that that I will share. The first is that my very first audiobook, um, I when I was editing it, I was so meticulous about every detail that it was probably at the beginning of that process, I was probably pushing over 10 hours per finished hour of audio because it was my first book and sure. I didn't I, I didn't know what to let go of then. Um, and you know, what was crucial and what wasn't. Uh, so in the beginning, the process is enormously long or it's enormously short. Some people, when they first start, because they don't hear the imperfections, uh, right away, they just, they record it and they, they listen to the edit one time and they think, oh, that's, that's good. And they just put it out into the world. So it's mm -hmm. very quick, but that usually most people who start, it's one or the other. It's either incredibly long or incredibly quick. Um, depending upon which way they're sort of biased. And then as I've continued to do it, obviously I've gotten faster. And even in that book, I had to, I had after about the third chapter, I think, I said, okay, you know what? I can't, I can't edit an entire book at this rate. I have got to let some things go. Um, there were two things. What was the other thing? One was that it changes over time and 
<laughs> nope, it's gone. There was there's another piece that'll it'll come roaring back in uh, at some point, and uh, and then I'll just we'll stop the presses. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm well, curious I'm if... mistakes you make when you start. I actually started doing audiobooks because I decided to narrate a book that I had written. Uh, it was a paranormal romance. Ah, and. There's, I, there's a theme. Yeah, I, 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 have, I have a type, I guess. Um, but as I, I was going to murder whoever was going to narrate this book because the, the lead character was so close to me. And I was like, well, then I, then I do it. So I recorded it. I, I put it out there. I had no idea what I was doing. Hmm. Um, I didn't have like the good headphones about the cheapest thing I could find. Um, so when I actually got better headphones and started listening to the first book, I was like, oh, you hear some stuff in the background, don't you? <laughs> Probably why I am so picky, mm-hmm. but I, I would say the the narration was like quicker. I didn't think that there should be emotion in the in the narrative, um, and then I started seeing reviews, some people being like, "I wish there's a bit more," and so you just kind of learn as as the flow goes and, and all of that. But yeah, so that that's where I entered. So you, where you were going slow and very picky, I was like, I have to share this so fast, but it you know it still mm. took like two months to get that book out. So yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's what that's what I was curious. Like when we now that we're talking about this, like I was like, you know, what your where does your creative process begin before you start? Re- like, you know, we talk about the recording process, but like, where do you say it's just like this is what this character is going to sound like? You know, you get you have some description, I guess, from the stories, but like, where where you know the two of you are sitting there? Do you like bounce voices back and forth, kind of, and like you know, make sure you have the right tempo? Like, it's like. You don't. Do you know what sound effects that you really want to use, like when you're reading, or does it not come until after you've like laid down your first go, like your first read? So that's a great question. Uh, the answer to almost all of it is a combination of actor instincts. Uh, Lillian and I are both stage actors uh, by by trade and practice. Uh, me for over thirty years, and you for almost thirty years. Yeah. So. Wow. so um, we, we have uh, between us hundreds or actually probably thousands of hours of rehearsal and performance experience in creating characters, sometimes creating a well-known character like the baker's wife from Into the Woods, mm-hmm. or sometimes originating a character that no one has ever seen before because it's a brand new work, um, and sometimes a hybrid of those. So, so one piece of the answer is when we're doing it, we open our mouths and sounds come out, and a lot of times it, it, it's it's spot on right out of the gate, you know, and some, but also sometimes it isn't. Um, sometimes we will narrate an entire chapter with, with characters in it who, uh, and we'll get to the end and I'll look at Lillian or she'll look at me. And one of us will say, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that that was that character's voice. And then we have to, we stop and we workshop it a little bit. And sometimes it happens much more quickly than that. Sometimes this, this has happened a lot. I'll deliver a line and then Lillian will continue with the narration only for me to go, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. That was not that character. I know that's not that character. Give me a second and we'll sort of, we'll, we'll just workshop it. We'll play it out in real time, uh, which is always fun to go back to the, back to the recording. We don't <laughs> stop the, we don't stop the tape for that. Um, all that is comedy gold. As far as the sound effects types of things, uh, because obviously we can't. <laughs> that that is mostly yeah, that is mostly mostly my uh, my bailiwick. That's a that's a yeah. word, right? I knocked on a box once, and we used it for a door knocking, and that's about the most special <laughs> effects I've done. So, you hear that? That was me. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes, it's as we're reading it, I will 
snap my fingers and say, wait a minute, here we may want to do something. And I will describe it again. The tape is running. I'll describe it into the audio so that when the chapter comes back to us, you know, whichever one of us is dealing with it first, that that uh, memo, it's basically a voice memo, is right there. So whatever ideas we have in the studio are preserved so that when we come back around to the next step of the production cycle, we, we haven't lost that or forgotten about it, which is important because at any given time, we might have five or ten books in various stages of production, either things that we're recording, things that we're editing, things that we're mastering, things that we're uh, in a dialogue with the, with the author about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how, so it's, how many? it's a lot to keep track of. We also are inspired by the things that we watch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like if, you, if you go back to Saturday Night Fever, uh, I believe it's the blonde, the blonde girl, the girl that's not from New York, so the non-New York accident <laughs> right. one. So uh, don't, don't name drop it, though. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> okay. um, I, I don't name drop what? The, uh, the, the character inspiration, the voice alone. Oh, I gave us, I can't say a slight nod to what I was going for. Uh -uh. Why? Because you don't want to put that thought in folks' heads. You want to let them discover it. Okay, well, it I, I've been watching something that's very popular right now, and I decided to give a slight shout-out to that character. Um, but then we, we were watching... Uh, can I name-drop those shows? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, but it's, don't link it to any of the actual work. No, no, we... we <laughs> We, we had been watching Doom Patrol and some of the these these little characters that pop up in all these different stories we've been doing have these slight nods to uh, people we've been listening to. We're not, we never try to copy or imitate. It's just always a what? nice... Yeah. It, it, oftentimes, yeah. It's, it's not even done on purpose. It's almost a discovery where we'll be voicing a character and we'll, we'll get a couple of lines of dialogue out and realize, oh, wait a second, that sounds a little bit like... Um, <laughs> And, and it's just sort of that thought process. A voice that I have not used, uh, I don't think, in anything, at least not for five or ten years. Um, but I was, I was in my old recording studio working on a book, and I started to talk, and I wound up doing a, a pitch-perfect uh, ver version of Kevin Conroy's Batman, hmm. which, frankly, first of all, Kevin Conroy's Batman is the definitive Batman. Hmm. Um, but it just kind of came out of me, and I went, wait a minute. I can do Kevin Conroy. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, you know, is or, Mark and, Hamill and, then the definitive Joker? Absolutely, oh, I think everyone would say that. Yeah, on question. His Joker is so definitive that he steals from himself all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a video game uh, the first or second time that he he quit the quit doing the Joker. Um, he did a video game called Darksiders, which is this post apocalyptic. Angels and Demons, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse uh, kind of video games. Great game. Uh, and he played the sidekick character to the protagonist. And it is very clearly heavily inspired by his Joker voice. <laughs> maybe maybe blended with his Cobra Commander voice. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's, you know, great. Voice actors steal from themselves all the time because we have the same instrument for our entire lives. And so you you develop tricks and things and you just, you go back to you go back to things and you pull them forward and then you you shape them slightly differently or you shave off the mm. the the edges of one or you you blend two things together yeah. but yeah, mark hamill's joker will forever be the definitive joker yeah. very few people are like h john benjamin who just is the voice 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't he's, he's have to do anything. He, he is that one voice, and it's perfect for everything he does. Hmm. That's a oh. Bob's Burgers, Archer. Oh, that's just his voice. Yeah, that's just yeah, how he talks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Good yeah. for him. But he, he's, he's also the uh, the blank void in John Oliver's uh, Last Week Tonight yeah. for the past yeah. half season or whatever. The can of but vegetables it, in a wet, hot American summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he's just he just that's just him i'll tell you though uh, i had watched ye- seasons of archer before i ever saw the guy so the first time i laid eyes on the actor i was like look at that that is not not at all what i was picturing i mean yeah. it's fine but but that because for me it was so iconically sterling archer <laughs> <laughs> like a, he just he does not look like sterling Archer. Okay. not in the slightest <laughs> yeah he's got his own thing going on very much so more bob than Archer. Well, what about yeah. the, then? Did not to go crazy off course here. Now that we're down the rabbit hole, but what about a uh, Ving Rhames with the "We Have the Meats"? Like I can see that now, but it's uh, I never. You had to tell me that that, that it was just like Arby's. We have yeah. the meats. I think he's like going a little deeper yeah. when he's doing that the uh, commercial. Yeah, like it's a different projection yeah. than than he would in like a movie or something. Okay. Might, there might be some bass boost on it or a little yeah. little low low frequency reverb or something. But it's just like now I can't unhear it. But the first time you told me that, I'm like, that's not Ving Rhames. Like, I love Ving Rhames. I, I would know if that was him. It's like, no, it is. Like, he's the Arby's guy. <laughs> he's going d- going deep. <laughs> yeah. We have the meats. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Never been, but hey. <laughs> right, right. Ving Rhames does the commercials. Well, to put you guys on the spot... Uh, so your favorite stories in Do You Fear Like We Do? So you have to just literally name one. It can be your own. That's fine. You know, like uh, I've done elections before. I vote for myself. You sure. Know? But, <laughs> but so, so yes, your favorite stories each. Can I go first? No, because you're going to take mine. Okay, then go first. I'll go. I, ha- I have a backup. Go ahead. All right. Uh, actually, I, I, I am conflicted. I'm not going to take the one you think I'm going to take okay fair enough enough. well okay well then then you can go okay um i like the story do you think i'm stabby um yes 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 yes. it is uh it's very quick uh i think it's what eight nine minutes yeah yeah the audio is pretty quick uh what's great is in the narrative you kind of hear the girl who's slightly off emotionally but when she talks she's trying to manipulate the people around her so she sounds very daft very blonde very much like hi it's funny like that kind (laughs) of a feel and i liked that you're getting the honest person in the narrative but every time she's speaking you're kind of seeing what she's actually projecting to these other people around her um and it was just so slightly off hinge and so much fun because it just kind of went down this kind of weird rabbit hole and had like uh, dark humor at certain points. Uh, I, I don't want to give anything away, but I just <laughs> kind of did like this, being like, well, she couldn't remember this, but she did remember this part of it, kind <laughs> of a thing. But, yeah. Huh. So, yeah, I, I very much like, do you think I'm stabby? I would have said my own, but that would have been not cool. <laughs> so, just just to show you how uh, how well we know each other and how similarly our thought processes are, you totally stole mine. That's exactly what I was thinking. We're gonna. Sorry, I can I can pivot. Let's do this since so before you give yours, we're gonna put this on here real quick just so I can find out who wrote it. So here we go. Do you think I'm stabby? By Stacy Lane Wilson. 
All right. So Stacy wrote that one. All right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, it, it, it is it is fantastic. Um the reason I said I was conflicted was because I am also super proud of mine. I, I, I really truly am. Yeah. Um but it's it's hard for me to say that it's my favorite because I I mean I for the most part knew what was happening, aside from the two dramatic rewrites from version to version, so maybe I didn't. But <laughs> I, I can honestly I, I think I can honestly say, and I did super enjoy Do You Think I'm Stabby, but I think the most fun that I had in the whole collection was Hotel Kill Em For Ya. <laughs> the, I'm it, bored. It's, I'm bored. So, so Hotel Kill Em For Ya, Joe, just a, a treat that awaits you. It's, it's I I actually had to go back because I didn't realize. I'm like, wait, shoot, did my did my phone disconnect? Am I, like, did it revert to the radio? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, what the <gasps> hell? Because sometimes, like, in That's your a great co- compliment. Thank you. Yeah. It no. really has the flow. Yeah. Because I literally, like the, I, I would play cool. some of it, but I can't. Obviously, it's copyright stuff. But um, um, I was literally in the car and I'm just like, oh, okay, the story switched over. And then you get taken out of it. Somebody honks at you or you want to, you know, crash into someone in front of you or whatever, whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, wait, did this shut off? Did this disconnect again? Because you never know. Your car with the Android Auto or the Bluetooth, it'll, it's just yeah. like, this. No. And then you start listening to it and you're like, oh. Oh, I get it. <laughs> like, so it took me. It took me a second. I thought literally, I'm like, oh, this damn thing disconnected again. You know? <laughs> oh, that's the best. Oh, that's that's neat. the best feedback Isn't ever. <laughs> but on a side note, I honestly thought that you were going to say "Long Ghoul Woman" in a black dress. Oh, I do really like because, that one too. Because Mister, I used to be a DJ. Got to pull out his. This is my DJ voice. And you would just smile the entire time that story was going on <laughs> true. in the studio. I and did really enjoy that one, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've gotten to that one yet. I, I uh, have. And Google. when when uh, we first started talking, you said you started in radio. I'm just like, ah, oh, well, that's that's the, that's his story then. I, I, I already know. And I was wrong. So yep. there you go. Yep. Yeah. And no, that was written by uh, Kurt Lambert, right? Yes. Kurt yeah. Lambert. Our friend okay. Kurt. So, our, well, our friend now. Yeah. Right, right. He's yeah. cool. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we didn't know him before Stacy brought this whole thing together. So, Joe, any yeah. other questions? Uh, that, that's where we started. Well, now we're running, we're running on our on our time. Yes, and we've we've our, our guests have been extremely generous with their time. They're probably just like, "Yo, dude, yeah." Like, I either oh, wait. Well, you guys are out in L.A. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's not dinner time yet, but still, I'd be pissed <laughs> off if I took over an hour of your time. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm oh. having a great time. No, we really like... enjoy doing this kind of thing. <laughs> we really do. Yeah, we very much enjoy it. So well, yeah, well, there's no worry. Well, well, let's let's get one more question in each, then, Joe. Joe, what do you, do you got? Oh, oh man, I'm trying to think yeah, of something. Put now. you on you, the spot. You got something? I I, I do. You, should, you go. Go for it. All right. So. I guess we we have the '70s. This is you know this is do you feel like we do. This is the 70s edition, Rock and Roll Nightmares. Um, is there anything that you can tell us upcoming? Like, are you a part of the other two books, I should say? Mm. Ah, well, I can I can speak to this a little bit. Um, so each book has a, is narrated by a different uh, person, or in our case, mm-hmm. a team. Uh, so the 60s edition is narrated by my good friend, Jennifer Knighton, Ooh. who, uh, if I can name drop a little bit, Absolutely. Uh, Jen and I narrated four anthologies for big time books. I don't know if you guys know big time books. Uh, three of those four anthologies are also horror themed. 
So if you want to you want to expand your palate, uh, there's Hell Comes to Hollywood one and two, which is all entertainment industry Hollywood themed, sort of similar to Stacy's book City of Devils, if you know that one. Okay, sure. Uh, and then also Eighteen Wheels of Horror is uh, is. Right, what it says on the tin: eighteen stories, horror stories that take place trucking cross country, uh, and then the fourth one is eighteen wheels of science fiction. So that's a little bit different. Yeah, uh, but but Jennifer and I did those four anthologies for uh, Eric Miller over at Big Time Books, and that was actually my entree into horror fiction in a lot of ways. Because as a kid, I had way too overactive of an imagination, <laughs> and horror stuff just scared the dickens out of me. Um, so I didn't, it wasn't something that I pursued until I, until I started doing the work. And then I discovered, oh, you know, actually, this is kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the 80s volume, it, I don't know the narrator personally. He's someone that Stacy has worked with before um, on a prior audio project. Uh, so each volume is likely to have a slightly different feel because ours is a duet style and each of theirs is a sole narrator. So that's going to change things up a little bit. Mm. Um, but also every narrator brings their own style to the work anyhow. So um, uh, it'll, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily that if you like one, you'll hate the others, or if you like one, you'll love the others. It's just going to be different flavors. Um, but I can, I can certainly speak for Jennifer cause I've known her work for a decade. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, the reason, the reason I asked is just cause I, if if this isn't a good example, the, like the Do You Fear Like We Do, the Rock and Roll Nightmares 70s edition, if this isn't a good example of the industry and the radio side of it and the production side of it and the, the you know, disco versus rock and roll, like the whole thing, like I'm excited to move forward. Like like I'm, I'm already looking and I shouldn't be because I'm I like this this book a lot like i'm already looking forward to hearing about the next decades if that makes any sense oh yeah no of yeah. course absolutely they should be out relatively um well oh, careful careful <laughs> <laughs> they should be out at some you know, point what you, what you can do during that time waiting stacy lane wilson also wrote uh, a wonderful book called dark duet which is a vampire uh 1970s oddly enough uh, kind of romance, rock and roll, but they're kind of feeding on people and whatnot. A little bit of adventure. Also, have narrated. Oh, so we, we, we ran around in the seventies, and we, we, you know, we sucked on people's blood and um, <laughs> talked about music. He had a British accent for a while. Um, Speaking of research, the research for that project was really intense. There was a lot of accents to look up for that book. Wow. It was, it was fun. You, you've got a girl who's got an evil twin and she gets my, my kind of go-to evil twin British voice that I love to use. <laughs> they always speak like this when they're evil. But, um... <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's your warning. That was that Jaguar yeah. commercial, right? If, yeah. If you hear this voice, then know that it's the villain. <laughs> yeah, because I think that was the, that was a funny uh, Super Bowl commercial that Jaguar had a few years ago. It was all these British dudes, and I think um, the the one I remember the most because he was like so hot at the time was Tom Hiddleston mm. because like he's sitting there in the jet or whatever, and he takes the sip. He's like, "And we're all British," you know, like mm. talking about all the the villains. So, <laughs> so now I just think every person that's British is the villain, just automatically. <laughs> now, now you know the secret. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but okay, no, Dark dark Duet's something to look out for, because I'm not, tr it's funny, like I'm, in the horror space, 
there's obviously things I like better than others. So I'm a big, mm-hmm. like, I get really scared of a possession story done right. I mean, you can't get any better than The Exorcist, but there mm-hmm. are some films that really creep me out and have good moments, like like The Exorcism of Emily Rose is one. So Zombies is my lowest on the horror totem pole. Yeah. I wouldn't say just above that, but a little bit higher up is vampires. And and I was not a huge vampire fan when I was younger. So it took me a little bit longer to kind of get. Really? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I like it's it's one of those things like when even when like vampires were at like their their peak a decade ago where there was just oversaturation of oh, yeah. vampire themed things it's like you know it's all good you know i can just avoid that and still like the ones i like but then you know what we do in the shadows just started back up right, right. and it's like you're talking about british vampires and all i can hear is matt berry's voice in my head it's like i mean that but what make it funny i love i mean i can't get enough of that show but what i'm saying is like to kind of bring it back to you know the, your latest story is there's so much that I have yet to experience in the vampire space. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to kind of growing in the vampire space a little more because this year we actually interviewed um, Clay Spang, the guy who played Dracula on Netflix, the BBC series, the three part awesome. thing. Yeah. And, and it made me like his take on it was very, very interesting to me. It was kind of like, okay, it's, it's funny. It's vicious. It's, it's so many things. So I'm, 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 might just might just give dark duets a try yeah you know what i mean that's what i'm saying yeah sounds like fun to me yeah so there, there's not much that i can't be i can't be poisoned by what's out there already you know what i mean because i already didn't have a huge interest in vampires about i would say a decade ago so i'm coming into it yeah yeah ride that wave i mean we were talking <laughs> we were talking about salem, we're talking, a we were lot, talking about salem's lot the other week you're we talking about that's all, right. all different fun <laughs> that's true yeah. just ride ride that flow ride the wave man. let them take a bite and just let it go right yeah you know at, <laughs> at some me. point go back and grab the dvds for uh forever night mm-hmm. and uh it's a great night. tv show from yeah like 20 25 years ago something like that mm-hmm. so modern day vampire tale um huh. but it's it's pretty it's pretty grounded and gritty although it it might be campy by today's standards but at the time it was it was grounded and gritty for the earlier mid 80s whenever it was um hmm. but it's funny you mentioned the 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 arc of vampire fiction because i was thinking about this a few years ago for the last 30 or 40 years there has usually been one piece of vampire fiction on tv that's sort of carrying the banner mm. uh, and it sort of ebbs and flows. And then Twilight happened and exploded. And, and that was yeah. when everything had to be vampires all the time. And I, I never, shockingly, I was never really part of the, the Twilight crowd. That was not my, my jam. So um, in a way that insulated me from, from the oversaturation because I didn't care about that. Right. Uh, yeah. But you also, about the same time you got the, uh, the Southern, True the Blood. Southern Horror Series. Yeah, True Blood and the, the uh, Sookie Stackhouse stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that that had its own ebb and flow. It started out okay, and then well, I got a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those hard things when you have such a good story going, it's like you really should just bring it to an end, but, it, you know, you just can't, so you just yeah. keep producing more episodes. And like, but I hear ah, that's like a yeah. bunch of, like, naked, you know, like, hey, like people just having sex. There's plenty of that. It's okay. HBO. 
All right. Well, then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe I'll check that out. I don't, I've, I've never watched True Blood. Every HBO show is like right. that for the most yeah, part. Yeah, right. I feel like they still have popularity. Like, typically, of the five, six books that we're working at at a time, we've normally got, like, a werewolf in the mix. We've got <laughs> a vampire in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, we always have some kind of haunting or witchcraft or something. So there, there's a market out there for all of it. Yeah, for so sure. I guess you get to pick yeah. and choose what you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever seen John Carpenter's vampires? Yes. Yes, that's, I have. That's just freaking fun. <laughs> just people. Yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Um, Because we, we can't let either of you go before asking you what your favorite horror movie is. Correct. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, ooh, ooh, mm-hmm. I, the... The Robert Wise, The Haunting, the the nineteen sixties version of The Haunting. Okay, um, is that, that one black and white? It, it, it's one of the ones where you are freaking yourself out. Like you don't have to see the monster; it's that scary. Mm-hmm. That one, um, and I and <clears throat> until the end, as a kid, I absolutely loved Event Horizon. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I, I man, loved it. I loved it. Um, until the, the very end. But I remember at the beginning, the idea that you're in space and you're on a spaceship and these people that can't be there are there. And I just remember so terrified. Yeah. So, and Terminator 2, uh, the Robert Patrick as the liquid metal man scared me to death as a child. He was when I was a kid, that scared me. Yeah. The T-1000, yeah. Uh, terrifying. Yeah. I, yeah. I, met, I met him once uh, and he I like caught my breath because he was the the epitome of everything that terrified me as a child. Um, But yeah, I would start with The Haunting, and then I I would go Event Horizon. The Haunting and Event Horizon were both brought up in our last interview. Well, so that was, Event Horizon always comes up because it's like, you know, sci-fi and horror, like they come off as like two separate genres, but really, I mean, they come together like perfectly like event horizons terrifying it, it is i agree <laughs> i agree yeah, and actually there's there's other uh there's there's more that was shot that, that's been lost They've, that's where there's never been a director's cut and i think somebody that was on set has it on a vhs tape but they can't you can't take it from a vhs tape and make that into a director's cut so like it's it just lost to the ages like there were wow. these other alternate endings and stuff it's just you can't get it um, that mm. that really upsets me because uh, I want to know. Um, sorry, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. when I found out what event, what event Horizon was is when I got older, I was like, "Oh, that movie is so it was named so well." I just thought they just put two words together. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it was the '90s, so they could have, you know, that would yeah, be. Yeah, I, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> Cinematic title generator, just spin two wheels. I was like, wait, wait, who came up with this? I didn't know it was a science term. You know, I was young. I didn't really care about science. I do now. (laughs) (laughs) That that was her abrupt closure. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, though. T2, I I don't know if folks would normally think of it as a horror film, but when you have a a murderous character like the the T-1000 that can shapeshift and put on anybody's face... And basically, like, approach you like your best friend, and then just, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, it, it really, it definitely, it definitely should be thought of as a horror film. I hadn't thought about that. As a child, he was like the chain link fence in the backyard. He was my trampoline. <laughs> I remember running into the kitchen and going up against the cabinets and then freaking out because he was either the floor or the cabinets with my mom that was coming to check on me. Like, nope, no place was safe. Yeah. Absolutely none. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So that is definitely a great contender. I think uh, the two that I would pick, 
one is more of a, a serious horror film and that's alien. Like how can oh, you yeah. not? Yeah. Yeah. Alien is, you know, it's funny too. Cause that's a franchise where it kind of migrates. Cause the second one is more of an action film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still set in the same universe, but the first one's a horror film and the second one is an action film. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but then I think the other one that I would have to say, because I love a good deconstruction, and that's uh, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. It's just <laughs> so fun. And to see and, – and I don't – the ending kind of falls apart a little bit on that one. But the early process of them, like, setting up the tropes and triggering the different things uh, in order to effectuate what we all know are the common scenes and tropes in horror films – just it seemed really slick and really well put together and so it was just a fun little like oh and, and there are the pheromones and oh there's the the thing to draw them off and oh there are the props which with they pick whichever prop they pick that's going to shape the narrative with the the whole control room of operators working behind the scenes it was just a really really fun deconstruction <laughs> yeah it's such a that is a clever movie yeah i think about so podcast i used to do before eddie and i started this i was lucky enough to uh interview xander berkeley and if you remember him from t2 he's the one who gets the uh he's drinking some milk <laughs> and then gets the t1000 yeah, yeah. yeah so he he gave yeah. us like the lowdown on all that scene and apparently uh jim well he refers to james cameron as jim and he's just like you know really made him sit in that makeup for a lot longer than he had anticipated really <laughs> yeah because it's like he's like oh is it all going to be effects and they're like yeah, but no. <laughs> so to make it as real as possible. So you think it's like, that took like eight hours for that scene or something like that. Something. Oh my gosh. Something very long. It was a very long day for him. Well, well, actors <laughs> get compensated pretty well. He's fine. Yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah. right, eight hours. It, yeah. Good. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, okay. No, so I. I like it. Guys, the book is Do You Fear Like We Do? Rock and Roll Nightmares 70s Edition Short Stories. This interview was with Vincent Lee Grayson, Lillian Eves, the narrators Mm -hmm. of the book. So cool because we finally got to travel down the audio streams channel of fear. I'm freaking excited about that. Yeah, finally got to some audio, some voice work. All right, and thank you for checking out our interview with... Lillian Eves and Vincent Lee Grayson. This has been episode number 58 of the Red River Horror Podcast. Don't forget to check out Do You Fear Like We Do. You can find that on Amazon. You find that on Audible. And that is, again, Do You Fear Like We Do? Rock and Roll Nightmare, 70s edition short stories. And remember to keep traveling those channels of fear. <laughs>